0: Good morning, Grace. Grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to Titus. little tiny letter tucked back near the end of the New Testament. If you find Hebrews, which is a bigger book, just back up a little bit from there and a couple of pages and you should find it. Um, but I want to pray as we, we begin you know, as we sang that song, asking the Holy Spirit to be present here among us and to be at work right now as we open his word and read and think about it. Um, One of the things we sang in that song was revive us. One of the things we were asking the Holy Spirit to do is revive us. That assumes that we contend to Uh, be drowsy. We can tend to sort of lose focus and attention at those things which matter most, right? We can sort of grow sleepy and just have this image of what what, do you call those little ammonia things that you crack under someone's nose when they've fainted or they're like going out. You go like that and they sort of do one of those sort of moves. That's what we're asking the Holy Spirit to do, opening His Word right now, sort of revive us. Because this passage here in Titus that we're going to look at um, is a a warning and alerting sort of passage. It's a passage that's calling elders of churches to be on guard and to be awake at their posts for important reasons. So with that, let me pause and pray. Uh, Lord, wake us up this morning for those of us who are, have grown sleepy, for those of us who are uh, in here this morning just distracted and overwhelmed and, and caught up with so many other things in our minds. Uh, Lord, clear our minds. Give us att- attentiveness right now um, and an active uh, learning and listening posture here as we go to your word. Um, Holy Spirit, help us um, grow in our understanding of your word, our understanding of what is true and sound doctrine. Lord, make us wise and, and able to recognize um, truth from error, Lord. Um, and as Jesus prayed uh, for his disciples and for us, would you keep us in your name? Sanctify us in the truth because your word is truth. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning's passage really is continuing the passage that Rob Lister preached for us uh, last Sunday. Uh, So if you look at uh, Titus chapter one, starting in verse five, um, he, the first point of order that he gives to Titus as he is to be putting into order these, these early fledgling little church communities that had been planted on the island of Crete, the first point of order was appoint elders. So Rob asked a great question last week and it was at the beginning of a sermon. He said, what is God's prescription for leading his people, um, guiding his people in a world that's chaotic, Um, that in in many ways is very similar to the things that that we read about Crete here, Um, a surrounding culture that is opposed to God and exalts things that God hates. Uh, What is God's prescription then for leading his churches? And in a word, it's shepherds. He says, appoint elders, appoint overseers. Or uh, in in Ephesians 4, we read uh, Paul saying that those overseers he calls shepherds that God has given to the flock to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 1 Peter 5 says elders are to shepherd the flock entrusted to them. So um, God's prescription is leaders who lead in the way that shepherds lead a flock, keeping them all together and feeding them and leading them and keeping them safe. Um, Now, we can't forget, 1 Peter 5 says that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He ultimately is the one who is shepherding his church Wherever there's a local church, Jesus is a shepherd. But he's chosen to shepherd through the means of men of certain character. We just saw last week men whose family lives are in order. As Rob pointed out, whose personal lives, their character is in order. And doctrinally, their doctrine is in order. They understand and have a firm grip on and hold firmly to the trustworthy word as has been taught. And and men like that are supposed to be chosen to shepherd and to lead and feed, uh, lead and feed the flock. So it made me think of Psalm 23 this week in in a light that I just hadn't usually thought of it. Usually I think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm, uh, primarily which it is. It's a reminder of God who is our good shepherd and the way He shepherds us. The way He feeds and leads us and guards us, etc. But I think also, if God calls His elders to shepherd the flock entrusted to us, that we can look at Psalm 23 uh, and, and take our cues from Psalm 23, and so, what, what should shepherds be doing? How do we shepherd uh, the flock like the good shepherd? And so Psalm 23 begins: "He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul." He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And look at Titus 1.9, where we left off last week. The first part of that is, is what elders are called to do. Hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So we, we feed the flock and we lead the flock here from God's word by, by bringing us to the word regularly and teaching it and preaching it and explaining and giving instruction from it but we don't just feed and lead. Look at verse four of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So question, why would sheep be comforted when they're walking through a place that is dark and there are predators? What did that verse just say? Their shepherd has a rod and staff, right? Right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think the second half of Titus 1 9 corresponds to this. Elders are not only to be able to give sound uh, doc, instruction in sound doctrine, but also to rebuke those who contradict it, to guard the flock. You know, a staff and the rod, staff is probably this long crook to help pull the sheep out of bad places, spots that they get into part of leading and, and, and protecting, but the rod is probably a, a club to, to beat off wolves and predators and, and to protect the sheep. And, and elders are called to, to, in part, protect the sheep, to guard, in this case, against lies and false doctrine. So that's where Paul turns next in verses 10 through 16 uh, because there was serious need for the rod and the staff in Crete. Let's read these verses and we're gonna take two Sundays for this. This morning we're gonna work through verse 14 and next week Eric will uh, finish uh, with verses 15 and 16. But let's read. Starting in verse nine, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. <laughs> as we look at t- verses 10 through 14, three questions about guarding the flock here. First one is, what are the elders to guard the flock from? Why and how? That's it, simple. From what? Let's start. Number one, the shepherds are to guard the flock from toxic teaching. I wanna use the word toxic for a reason because in verse nine, Paul says that what is to be rebuked and silenced is anything that contradicts Sound doctrine. And sound doctrine means healthy doctrine. That word sound he uses four times in this letter and he uses frequently in his two letters to Timothy. Sound. He says, talks about sound faith, sound doctrine. Um, It means healthy. It's the opposite of sick or infected or diseased. So this teaching that is needs to be dealt with is toxic. Uh, it's infectious, it's contaminated these early Christian church communities and needs to be eradicated. And so he tasks Titus and the elders who are, he's about to appoint with sort of being the CDC of doctrine and practice. If you know what the CDC is, the Center for Disease Control. I decided to go look up the mission statement for the Center of Disease to Control and I thought, wow, it's, it's very, um, oh, I, I, can you give me the controls for that? Put that first slide up there. Listen to this. Here's what the CDC is tasked with doing. The CDC works 24-7 to protect America from health, safety, and security threats, both foreign and in the US, whether diseases start at home or abroad, chronic or acute, curable or preventable, human error or deliberate attack, doesn't matter what sort of disease, right? The CDC fights disease and supports communities and citizens to do the same. That's a great mission statement for this role of elders is to fight doctrinal disease and support our communities, encourage all of us as members and citizens of God's kingdom to be able to do the same, to have discernment and to recognize sound doctrine from toxic teaching. J.I. Packer, read a book a few years ago called Quest for Godliness. He used a similar metaphor for this role. He said, elders are called to be the church's water engineers and sewage officers. (laughs) It's their job to see that God's truth flows abundantly where needed and to filter out any intrusive pollution that might damage health. Pollution, control. J.C. Ryle, who wrote at the end of the 1800s, said this, no fact in church history is more clearly proved than this. False doctrine has never ceased to be the plague of Christendom for the last 18 centuries, for us now the last 21 centuries. The plain truth is that false doctrine has been the chosen engine which Satan has employed in every age to stop the progress of the gospel of Christ. I love this, what he says. Finding himself unable to prevent the fountain of life from being opened, he has labored incessantly to poison the streams which flow from it. If he could not destroy it, he's too often neutralized its usefulness by addition, subtraction, or substitution. You see, Satan gets what he lost, how he, he was defeated at the cross. He understands he can't go back in a time machine and undo what Jesus did when he atoned for sins of the world once for all time, rose again, sat down at the right hand of the Father as our advocate. Satan can't undo that, but what he can do is poison the streams that flow from the fountain of life. He can poison the message. He can poison the truths that by believing these truths about who God is and what he's done for us, we might have life. He can do that. He can pollute the stream. And he does it by addition sometimes or subtraction or substitution. Danny Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern Seminary, calls this heretical math. He says it's true of every false teaching. Dangerous doctrines come in different shapes and sizes, but they all have this heretical math as their common denominator. They add something in there that God did not say, or they subtract something in, an inconvenient truth, something God did say, or they flat out substitute something for, for the truth. And, they, and, it's, and it's heretical math. And this is what good statements of faith are for. That's what a good doctrinal statement is for. We have one as a church. You can go to our website, go to graceevfree.org, click on About Us, and, and in there you'll see Statement of Faith. And, and we didn't write that right here at Grace. This is the Evangelical Free Church of America Statement of Faith. And it's a good one, I think. Now you might be fine with statement of faith. Maybe some of you might have the thought that doctrinal statements, we don't need doctrinal statements. That's adding to scripture. That's us writing man-made things and then holding people to them, and that's kind of dangerous. But no, a proper statement of faith is not adding anything to scripture. We are not saying it's inspired, but it's an attempt to clarify and crystallize um, and make sure there's not room for misunderstanding what are the essential truths of the gospel and the truths on which the gospel rests. Because there's a lot of foundational truths underneath the simple truth that God saves sinners through Jesus. We need to understand, well, which God? Who is God, what is he like? What isn't he like? We need to understand and know the true God. We need to know true things about God. He saves sinners, well, what's sin? Who defines sin? What is sin? Am I a sinner? Are we all sinners? How did you become a sinner? We need to understand these things. The Bible speaks to, what does he save us from? Who, from whom does God save us? The Bible says, actually, at the end of the day, God saves us from himself because in our sin, we've made ourselves enemies of a holy, righteous God who gives us life and breath and everything. And these truths that our statement of faith captures are these essential first order doctrines that we need to be committed to not letting be polluted through addition or subtraction. So that's the first thing that elders are to guard the flock from is is toxic teaching, false distortions of the uh, the sound doctrine that our faith is to be built on. But notice here in these few verses that he, he doesn't talk as much about the actual things that were being taught that are false. He hints at a couple of them, but he focuses even more of his words on the toxic teachers that elders need to be on guard against. He hints at a couple of the false teachings. Look at verse um, uh, 10 when he says, well, these, these teachers are, are especially those of the circumcision party. So probably some of the the poisoning is poisoning by addition, adding in works of righteousness and strict observance and adherence to to some religious uh, observances that are in addition to faith in the finished work of Christ on our behalf, which is probably why in chapter three, Paul doubles down on the fact that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, There are hints of it in verse 14 when he says the things that these teachers were devoted to or preoccupied with, Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth, Again, poison by addition or maybe substitution, taking extra biblical revelation, whatever these myths were, we're not sure, or taking other commands of men that go beyond the commands that Jesus gave and adding these to or even elevating them up and being devoted to above. So we get a hint of the toxic teaching, but Paul is really concerned about the teachers, the ones who are spreading these poisonous truths. Look at Verse 10. He calls out their toxic living. He says, these many are insubordinate. That means they refuse to submit themselves to authority. They refuse to submit themselves under God's authority. And they refuse to submit themselves to the God-given authority of elders and the, and the apostolic teaching and the scriptures. They they put themselves outside of that. They're independent, they're insubordinate. He calls them empty talkers and deceivers. So not only is what they're teaching empty or or groundless, it's not grounded in the truth, but it's even deceptive. And in verse 11, he says, it's taught for shameful gain, which implies, I think, that all these teachers are not naively, sincerely misguided and spreading error, but intentionally preying upon God's people and seeking to gain their profit in some way by putting themselves forward and, and their ministry and their, and their platform. And paradoxically, while they seem to be Jewish and in some ways adhering to and and promoting religious observances, Paul says that their lives are bankrupt. And he quotes from one of their own, he says, uh, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. And his point of going there is to say, these guys who claim the high ground are lowlifes. Look at their lives. So later in chapter two, Paul says to Titus, and I think to to elders as well, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works so that in your your teaching, show integrity. These toxic teachers, their lives do do not back up the things that they teach. So we need to be on guard, not just as elders, but as a church for, for toxic teaching and Toxic teachers, those who would be promoting truths, but their lives uh, deny it, as we're gonna see in verse 16. So how do we grow in our ability to discern uh, and and recognize false teaching? Um, We don't have to go and learn and read what is every possible false teaching out there that we may fall for. What we need to do is learn sound doctrine the more we familiarize ourselves and learn and understand the sound doctrines on which our faith is resting, we will recognize lies and distortions. I wanna to go to J.C. Ryle again. This is a great collection of his writings called Warnings to the Churches. But uh, this, in this section, he's, he was t- speaking particularly about false teaching. And so he says, does anyone ask me, what is the best safeguard against false doctrine? I answer in one word, the Bible. The Bible, regularly read, regularly prayed over, regularly studied. We must go back to the old prescription of our master, that's Jesus, search the scriptures. If we want a weapon to wield against devices of Satan, there's nothing like the sword of the spirit, the word of God. But to wield it successfully, here's the key. This is why we need to be revived here. We must read it habitually, diligently, intelligently, prayerfully. Intelligently means not just checking a box and moving on, task done for the day, but engaging our minds with it and chewing on it and seeking to understand it and, and believe it in the heart uh, and, and submit to it. He says, this is a point on which I fear many fail. In an age of hurry and bustle, I just wanna pause right there, that was 1887, Can you imagine if we all could just go back in a time machine to 1887, wherever he was writing this, and and take a glimpse of what uh, hurry and bustle looked like to him? Good grief. If he could be here today, blow his mind. He says, in an age of hurry and bustle, few read their Bibles as much as they should, that's our danger, right? The information age, the 24 seven news cycle loop. I mean, good grief, we need to be attentive. More books perhaps are read than ever, but less of the one book which makes man wise unto salvation. A Bible reading congregation is the strength of a church. We want, if we wanna be a strong church, a church that's not fooled and, and, and led astray into false teachings, we, we're, we need to be a Bible reading congregation. So he says, arm yourselves then with the word of the sword of the spirit. Let your hand become used to it. I love that. I'm well aware there's no royal road to Bible knowledge. It's not like the matrix. You don't just sort of plug, there's no secret trick to just downloading sound doctrine. He says, uh, without diligence and pains, no one ever becomes mighty in the scriptures. As Charles Simeon said, justification is by faith, but knowledge of the Bible comes by works. (laughs) You've got to read it. One thing I'm certain, he says, there's no labor which will be so richly repaid as laborious, regular daily study of God's Word. So, the question, Grace, at this point, are are you inoculating yourselves? Are you immunizing yourself to, to false teaching by filling your mind and your heart from the Scriptures with what is true and what is right? Are you deepening and strengthening your grip of the gospel? which we never outgrow. And then having done that, are you evaluating the things that you are taught by this? In, starting right here, we're not ab- above this. We, we want you every week as you're sitting under the word that's preached, or you're in adult Sunday school or sitting in a grace group, any of the ministries of grace, women's Bible study, men's Bible study, are you listening with your Bibles open and evaluating with your mind engaged to see, like in Acts 17, Luke said about the Bereans, they would examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things were, that were being taught are so. Now, the question is, are you doing that with all the other Christian teaching that you are receiving, Christian books that you are reading? I, hate to say it, but not all books in a Christian bookstore promoted as Christian literature would pass Paul's test of sound doctrine. And so are you reading books with your, with your Bible open? Are you uh, listening to Christian podcasts and evaluating them according to God's word? YouTube videos of sermon excerpts that are forwarded to you on Facebook, are you evaluating them according to the standard of God's word? Are there people whose Instagram and Facebook stories you follow? This is one of the newest things is anyone can broadcast their own channel 24-7 from their phone and daily have their own story. And I see frequently this is just used as a teaching platform, often in wonderfully edifying ways. But just information and, and Christian teaching has proliferated in these days. Are you evaluating those things according to the scriptures? That's what we need to do. And are you evaluating those who are teaching the things that you are listening to and receiving? Are you evaluating not just their doctrine, but their lives? We are to judge the root by the fruit. Paul says here, sound doctrine ought to lead to sound faith, which accords with godliness, which demonstrates itself, with, it shows integrity in its teaching. So we have to ask, do the lives of those whose teaching we receive demonstrate sound faith worthy of imitation? Or, like we're gonna see next week in verse 16, do their works deny what they profess? If so, you probably shouldn't listen. As shepherds of grace, we're called to remain on guard for you and we're to urge you to be on guard for yourselves and for one another. So that's the, the for What? Second question, why does Paul say this is so important? Why is this right at the front of his letter? Why is this what he really wants Titus to get to work doing? Well, look at verse 11. He says it's because these teachers are upsetting whole families. This teaching is having devastating consequences, eternal consequences. When you hear the word upset, don't just think mildly, emotionally disturbed. I mean, that can be sort of a mild English word. Oh, I'm sorry to upset you, you know, no. Upsetting means like flipping the tables over in the, money, uh, in, in the temple that Jesus did, same word. Flipping over, whole families, our faith is being upturned and shipwrecked and led uh, astray into error by these false teachers. You know, last week Rob said that the the call to to shepherd the flock of God is a high stakes ministry. He wasn't being melodramatic. He says it's a high stakes ministry because as we see right from the beginning of the letter that nothing short of eternal life, the eternal happiness or eternal misery of men and women created in God's image Hangs in the balance. That's what he says right at the beginning. Paul says, I'm an apostle, a servant, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. And so, if the the fountain of eternal life, the message is polluted, eternity hangs in the balance. We can't let it be contaminated. Like the Ryle quote I read earlier talked about Satan contaminating the true gospel message from the beginning has been his MO. Made me think, you know, this, this description of Cretans here in uh, verse uh, 12. If anyone is uh, a liar and an evil beast upsetting whole families for shameful gain, it's Satan. That's a great description of Satan. Starting in Genesis 3. All the way back in Genesis 3, As Satan comes slithering into the garden and is whispering in Eve's ear lies, his goal with the lies, some of them half-truths, some of them mostly truth, adding just a little twist, but the goal was to pollute the truth about God in her heart, in her mind. To malign his character, to twist his good commands, and to dismiss his warnings, and to minimize the severity of God's holy uh, commands in a subtle, clever way. And as Satan was whispering, do you remember where Adam was? He was right there. If you go back to Genesis 3, in Genesis 3, 6, we realize as as Eve is falling for this lie and into temptation, it says, and he was with her, clearly not guarding the flock of one entrusted to him in that moment from these deadly lies. And so she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate, and right there in the garden, in Genesis 3, Satan successfully upset the first family, And through Adam now, all the families of the earth, Satan has upset and led us all into death and destruction and death sentence because of sin. It couldn't be more important that we're on guard for the truth John 8, Jesus said of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he's the father of lies, which means he has many children. He's behind every toxic teacher who's ever sought to pollute the minds and hearts of Jesus' sheep. And he would love to do this here among us. We're not immune I'm thankful that grace is is a church where sound doctrine is valued and and from the very top, from our elders down, submitting to the word of God and wanting to live under his authority and lordship is valued, but that does not make us immune. Peter said to Christians, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So that's a warning for sheep and shepherds, isn't it? So that answers the why. Why? pretty important. The last question is how. Paul gives two commands here to Titus, one in verse 11, one in verse 13. There's sort of a defense and offense of guarding the flock. The defense, verse 11, he says, these teachers must be silenced. The the word literally means muzzled. Put a muzzle on those people. (laughs) Silence them. Cut off their platform Uh, under under your authority, within the walls of your ministry, they may not continue to teach it, cut it off. To use the CDC illustration, it's the defensive maneuver of eliminating contagions, right? Creating a clean, healthy environment. And that's what, as elders, we are, are called to be responsible to ensure at Grace. On our watch, within our walls, in our ministries, on that side of the wall, in children's ministry and in youth ministry and in core groups and in grace groups and here in this sanctuary and at LaGracia, sound doctrine is being taught and errors are not being promoted. Now, I want to make two clarifications so we don't miss the silence them command number one this is not saying that elders are to treat the flock like little children and plug everyone's ears and lock us all in a nice hermetically sealed bubble and make banned book lists and forbid you all from reading anything that has a false idea in it we're not to cocoon or insulate the church we're to inoculate the church I think we should be exposed to and be aware of what is, what is promoted under the banner of Christian teaching that is not Christian teaching. We should be aware of those things as simultaneously um, f- reminding ourselves and growing in our knowledge of sound doctrine. So be silent doesn't mean, yes, yeah, sort of, you know, plug our ears and not listen to. We need to understand what is untrue that's being taught in our world and even within the church broadly. But we're not allowed to promote that. We're called to to, to give no platform for that within within our church. Make it very clear that what's being preached and taught here, we believe, is accurately communicating the true words of God. Second clarification. When you hear elders being tasked to silence people, that's that's a dangerous-sounding sort of command. Here's another thing it doesn't mean. This doesn't mean we are to silence anyone from ever articulating or expressing a doubt or to ever be wrong out loud. I can think of a person in recent years who has really walked away from the faith and who told me that the church where they had grown up left them with the impression that you can't vocalize, you can't verbalize your doubts. You can't talk about those doubts and and questions and misunderstandings just need to be kept below the surface. You can't be wrong out loud. And that's dangerous. That is not what Paul's saying. That's not what we're saying. So for example, it doesn't mean in a grace group setting, if someone speaks up and says something that doesn't align with scripture, we are to just shush them. That's not the point. We're to listen and to ask questions and to seek understanding, not just elders, but with one another. Understand what is being believed exactly and why. And to help gently going to the scriptures, guide one another into the truth where there is uh, unbelief or or, or wrong belief. But misunderstandings of the gospel and distortions in our beliefs can't be identified and addressed and corrected and clarified if they're never allowed to be voiced. And so um, we're not called to be the thought police as elders and, and, and keep all of your doubt stuff below the surface. I wanna say, I think within the local church is the best place for you to wrestle with your doubts. Don't think, I can't voice those questions here. I'll either be dismissed or I'll be made fun of or, or rebuked sharply, and I'll have to go outside these walls to go get answers for the questions. No, we need to be a community where we can ask those questions and answer them here with one another, right? But Paul is talking to false teachers, those within a church who are seeking whether, whether innocently or, or maliciously, you know, um, promoting false doctrine within the church, that we are to silence and not give platform. And the second thing in verse 13, he says, they are to be rebuked sharply. The teaching, So the teaching is not just to be rebuked, but the teachers are to be rebuked, he says, sharply. I wish we had time to go jump over to Acts. I believe it's in Acts 13, but if you wanna see a really a clear picture of what it looked like when Paul had his Rebuke Them Sharply hat on? Acts 13, it's not within the church, but he's preaching the gospel to a guy who was interested in it. And here's this Jewish magician here who is speaking these lies and trying to keep him from understanding. And Paul says, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. He looks at him and he puts him in his place. I, mean, I just I told you to go look it up and then I told you the story. But I love it, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's a fruit of the Spirit you're about to see from Paul. And he says, you son of the devil, when will you, will you not, not stop making God's straight paths crooked? You rebuked him sharply. Why? Because he's leading someone who's moving toward the truth away toward destruction. Paul says, elders, you are to rebuke false teachers clearly, sharply, unapologetically. It means bring the toxic teaching out into the light publicly, renounce it in no uncertain terms. But notice in verse 13, I love the Why? He says it's so that they may be sound in the faith. That's incredible. His initial motivation in rebuking sharply isn't punitive. It's corrective. Paul holds out hope that even toxic teachers can come to sound faith and be led to sound faith. And so he tells Titus, start there. Now in chapter three, we're gonna see what happens when false teachers give you the stiff arm and they won't hear sharp rebuke. Well, then there's another step. But first step I love is rebuke them that they might be sound in the faith. So what will these look like in our context at Grace? there's a lot we could say but two I just wanted us to think about and, and they both have to do with some significant differences I think between the context here that Titus was working with with these the need for elders on Crete and us here at Grace La Mirada today in 2019 one difference is here these were these little fledgling churches where there had been no spiritual leadership established yet I sort of picture it like old towns in the Old West that were springing up but there weren't sheriffs and deputies there yet and sort of all chaos was ensuing and finally the authorities would get in place and the town would get a sheriff and then things would begin put into order. Right here, Titus and these elders are gonna be guarding the flock in an intervening sort of way, intervention. There's many of these teachers here and they need to be dealt with. Here at Grace, thank the Lord that is not our situation. I wouldn't say that among our church, there are many insubordinate, empty talking, deceiving, shameful gain, false teachers that we need to go, this is gonna look at Grace much more like preventing so this is happening as our elders are choosing carefully who will serve as elder, who will preach from the pulpit, as our ministry staff is vetting who will teach Sunday school, who will be a core group leader, as Gerald and our elders are, are deciding who will shepherd grace groups, who will, who will be members at grace. We wanna make sure that it's men and women who have sound doctrine, they understand the truth, and they have the ability to, to teach what is true. That doesn't mean we'll never face a situation where we might, as elders, need to silence and rebuke, but Lord willing, it'll mostly be in the preventative, ensuring that what is taught is sound doctrine. The second thing I think that will look a little bit differently here is the fact that we live in 2019 and the the proliferation of voices and, and platforms for false teaching is just exponential with the internet which makes it more complicated. You know, in one of these little towns in Crete, it's like, you can say, well, that guy's a false teacher, that one's a false, that, there's like five of them, or whatever, you know, here we are. Now, the, the voices of, of teaching into this congregation happen through social media and happen through all these different ways, and the elders can't police at all. We're not called to go and silence every false teacher that claims to be Christian that any of you are reading or listening to, but I think what this does need to look like for us is as elders, we need to be aware. What, what are, I I emailed our elders this last week as thinking about this to say, guys, in our context here in the US, in, in Southern California, what do we see as those things being promoted as Christian teaching that we, we think are not sound doctrine? And what are just flat out worldly teachings that, are, that our people are inundated with that need, we need to be aware of so that we are making sure that as the, the text that we're preaching address it, that we're, we're, we're acknowledging and saying, by the way, this you might have read or that book or that person who said that that's not true and calling that sort of thing out we need we need to do that so as we conclude this morning here we're going to finish with the lord's supper which is a beautiful way to end this i think because there's wisdom in this ordinance that jesus gave us both in the regularity with which we're to do this we are not to stop doing this until jesus comes back and in what the elements are saying to us. As you come forward this morning and take a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup and the servers say to you, Christ's body was given for you and Christ's blood was shed for you, we are proclaiming Jesus' death again until he comes. We are proclaiming in this ordinance sound doctrine that's at the very core of our faith. We're reminding ourselves of of how we are saved and how we are not saved. We're remembering that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we add nothing to his sacrifice and his offering to God. We simply come empty-handed, just like you're gonna come and get this bread in the cup. You didn't provide this. We, <laughs> we did on behalf of the Lord, <laughs> okay? And you're taking it as a symbol of, I'm receiving this freely. The good shepherd became the lamb of God to take away your sin. The fountain of life is open. So let's be committed to keeping the stream unpolluted here at Grace of the message. Servers, come on forward and grab the the elements. If you are trusting Christ alone this morning as your Savior, we invite you to come and celebrate this, whether you're a member at Grace or not, or visiting with us. If you are a believer, but you are aware of sin in your life that you have been unwilling to turn from, my first word to you would be, turn from it. This morning, repent of that. Confess, give that to God. Ask him to help you begin walking in paths of righteousness. Give that to the Lord and come forward and take this meal. But if that's not where your heart is at, the Bible would warn you against hardening your heart, coming and hypocritically taking part in this ordinance, meanwhile um, holding on to and clinging to your sin. Let's not do that. And finally, if you have children with you who aren't ready to take the Lord's Supper, bring them with you and ask any of the servers to stop and pray for your child. They'd love to do that. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, your sacrifice for us. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who guides us into truth and sanctifies us by it. Lord, I pray you would this morning help us to be on guard uh, and on alert. Keep us in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.